Welcome to Maniacally Midwest, a true crime podcast. I'm back. It is just Katie again, but um, hopefully sometime soon Chloe is going to be rejoining us. Otherwise, you're just stuck with me. And like I tell my husband, tough shit. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> it's me and you better like it because there's no other options. Um, Sorry for the long break. Things have been hectic. Um, as you all know, I have two kids. Um, school breaks, snow days, pink eye. It's just been a fun time. In addition to that, um, my husband and I took a vacation to Hawaii um, at the end of January. And it was amazing. If you haven't gone to Hawaii, do it. The people are amazing, the food is amazing, the weather is amazing. I think it was like in the teens when we left here from Michigan and the whole time we were in Hawaii, it's like 80. And if you're from the Midwest and you're thinking, eh, well, 80 is kind of hot. Their 80 is different than our 80. Their 80 is like 80 on a boat where it's like breezy all the time it's not like boiling humidity so it was awesome and if you like calamari they have the best calamari ever everywhere um yeah I loved it we stayed on Oahu which is the island that Honolulu is on we didn't end up going to any of the other islands just time didn't allow and I mean we had like a million things more we could have seen on the island of Oahu but Just not enough time and not enough money in the world exists to go do everything we wanted to do. Anyways, it's been a long, long time. Um, A lot of stuff has happened for everyone. But a thing that I did want to bring up is, if you guys didn't know, there's a show on Netflix called The Perfect Match. And I don't know if you guys remember. Oh. My dog is scooting around, if you can hear a little bit of jingling in the background. Um, There's a show, Perfect Match, on Netflix, and if you guys recall, Love is Blind Season 2, I talk about Shane Jansen, is from De Pere, Wisconsin. Well, homeboy Shane is back on Perfect Match and is the perfect reflection of everything Wisconsin. He handles his trauma by seeking out a drink and behaves like the inner niceness gentleman. Anyways, you should check it out. I mean, I love it. If you love trash TV, get on it. Also, Sister Wives just wrapped up their season 17. It was explosive. If you guys love Sister Wives, now you know that all of the wives have split from Cody, and it's just Robin and Cody. If you don't care, And by I'm saying if you don't care, I mean my parents who don't care about the garbage TV I watch. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. So too bad. You listen to my updates about my garbage TV. 
Anyways, we are going to jump right in. So this week we are going to be in Jennings, Missouri, which you might be asking yourself, is that the Midwest? Well, it is because I say it is. Anyways, Jennings, Missouri is a suburb of like the St. Louis area. And as of the 2010 census, there were 14,712 people living there. Uh, The racial makeup of the city is 89.8% African-American and 8.5% white. The city of Jennings does contract with the St. Louis County Police Department to provide professional police services to the city. Um, The city of Jennings Police Department ended up being disbanded in 2011 due to corruption within the department including cases of missing money. I looked up Jennings. I couldn't pinpoint famous people from Jennings specifically or noteworthy people, so I ended up going with St. Louis since it is a suburb. So some notable people from St. Louis, Maya Angelou, who's a poet and civil rights activist, and Maya spent most of her childhood here. Um, Actress Linda Blair is not only from St. Louis, Um, You might recognize her name from The Exorcist, which was based on events that ended up taking place in St. Louis around 1949. I could have looked further into that about what (laughs) events happened there that The Exorcist was based off of, Um, but I actually did want to sleep in the somewhat near future, so I just decided to take their word for that instead of digging into what real-life events happened that that movie was based on. So, you do you. If you want to know more, you can dig into that. Don't tell me about it. (laughs) Leave me out of it. Another noteworthy person from the St. Louis area is Nellie. If you are, like me, a person born in the late 80s slash 90s, I don't have to explain who Nellie is. If you are not from that generation Nellie is a really popular rapper from I don't know what year I want to say the early 2000s but he's awesome if you've heard hot in here that's a hit (laughs) um and lastly is Ryan Howard and I saw this name and I was like oh Ryan Howard is from here um but that's not the person who I thought it was I was thinking Ryan Howard until I realized the Ryan Howard I was thinking of was a fictional character on The Office. Um, But this Ryan Howard is a baseball player and he spent uh, his career with the Philadelphia Phillies um, and he was born in St. Louis and went to Lafayette High School. Which actually when I started thinking about that I believe there is an Office episode where Ryan Howard is on the episode when Jim is working in Philadelphia and he actually thought it was his Ryan Howard as well but that's a fake show and I am dumb so there's that so I mentioned a little bit ago that the Jennings Police Department was disbanded in 2011 and a reason why I kind of pointed that out is the time that we're going back to is 2004 So this would be during a time where there is a possibility that people might have some questions about the police work and if it was honest and they showed integrity or not. I am going to present all of these things and 
we can kind of circle back to the end point of all of this, but I just want to put that out there so that you have that information while you're kind of listening to this so that you can kind of connect the dots. So it is December 3rd, 2004, and police go over to do a well check on a woman named Angela Rowe and her children because her family was concerned when they hadn't heard from her in about a week. So the police go over to Angela's house <clears throat> and at their house, um, they discovered the bodies of Angela Rome and her three children. Uh, the first child was Alexis Conley, who was 10. A, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced this name. I believe Akria Conley, who was six. And then finally, Tyrese Conley, who was five years old. Um, the house had been locked and the police had gained entry through a bedroom window. The air conditioner in their house was set to 50 degrees and a TV was on. Outside of the house, newspapers were in the front yard and mail was in their mailbox. I mean, the air conditioner being on at 50, I know St. Louis is a little bit different than Michigan or Wisconsin or the places that maybe I'm used to but I mean even in Tennessee which I would say has a much warmer climate than St. Louis people are not putting their air conditioning on in December um, so that is kind of suspicious so the bodies of these people are found and they all died from gunshot wounds that were either from a 38 or a 357 revolver. The autopsies revealed that Angela had sustained four gunshots, two to her left arm and one to her chest, and she had one fatal shot to her head. Alexis, her 10-year-old daughter, and Akria, her 6-year-old, sustained two fatal gunshots to the heads. And Tyrese, her youngest child, who was five, had one fatal gunshot to his head. Their bodies were in the early stages of decomposition, but past the state of rigor mortis. And the medical examiner had determined that the victims had been deceased for two to three weeks. So, at this point, Angela had been dating a gentleman named Leonard Taylor. And Leonard, in the current times, goes by Rahim. But she was dating Leonard Taylor. That's what he went by at the time. Um, on the flip side, Taylor was still currently married to a woman named Debreen Williams who lived in California. So, according to records, Leonard Taylor was in California with his wife on November 27th. On December 3rd, he had made several calls from his cell phone. Weirdly enough, where Taylor ends up getting arrested because he was the main suspect by the police, was on December 9th in Madisonville, Kentucky, at the home of a different girlfriend. The police had been uh, surveying the house, and they saw Taylor leave by laying on the floorboard of the vehicle. And at the time of his arrest, Taylor was using the name Jason Lovely. So this is super weird, right? This guy is the girlfriend, or girlfriend, the boyfriend of this murdered woman. He goes and visits his wife, 
in California, but is arrested with a different girlfriend in Kentucky. Okay, well, we can back up a little bit and it'll get even more weird. Okay, so he went from St. Louis to California. Well, his plane ticket reservation was made on November 25th, which would be Thanksgiving, by Deb, which could be a nickname for his wife, and was made from a telephone number with a California area code. And this ticket was under the name Lewis Bradley, another name that Leonard had used as an alias and the name on a Missouri ID with Taylor's picture on it. So this is super weird. And Taylor ended up using his sister-in-law for a ride to the airport. Now, I have no idea the entire relationship situation, how this guy had a wife in California, a girlfriend in St. Louis, a girlfriend in Kentucky, and how his sister-in-law, who I'm assuming is his wife's sister, but I guess it doesn't clarify that. I don't know. I, I don't know how all of this panned out, but it seems real weird, right? I think we can all get on the same page with that. And the fact that he had two other aliases that he was going by, it, it doesn't look good, right? So let's rewind to the last time that the family or friends had seen Angela and her, her kids. So they ended up reporting that something seemed off and police went over for like a well check. Um, Roe had called in or Angela had called in to report to her work that she wasn't going to be there on November 21st. And so they went on. That's not that strange. She was a housekeeper, but she had also missed work on the 26th, 27th, and 28th, and she didn't call in to report her absence. You know, I feel like there are cases where people are like, there is no way this person would miss work without calling in. And that was my big sign that something was up. And I don't know if she was one of those people or not. I kind of feel like when you have three kids, shit happens, right? (laughs) Someone's sick. The day got away from you. I've gone to pick up my kid from school when she normally rides the bus, and I forget to tell school, and then she's arguing with the bus driver that she's pick up, and then the school's calling me while I'm waiting to pick her up. It happens. So maybe that wasn't a big immediate red flag, right? So on November 23rd, 2004, Leonard Taylor called his brother, Perry Taylor, asking him for money. So Leonard had told his brother, I killed Angela. I didn't mean to kill her, but she came at me with a knife and I couldn't get her off me. I shot her two or three times. He also told his brother that I'm going to kill the kids too, or I killed the kids. The telephone records show that Leonard had called Perry from his cell phone On November 23rd at 11.24 p.m. and on November 24th at 12.05 a.m. The telephone records also show that Angela's landline was used to call Perry's cell phone twice in the afternoon of the 24th. So either on the 24th or the 25th. And I'm saying that not guessing. 
That's literally what the trial records say. And the same thing with when I said he either said this or that. That's the trial records, not me saying like, oh, I don't remember which I read. Um, Perry Taylor told his girlfriend that Leonard had killed Angie and the kids. And on November 25th, Perry was at his girlfriend's house when he received another call from Leonard. Perry had told his girlfriend that Leonard was still at Angela's house waiting on a letter to come from California. I don't know what that means or what he was expecting. And the girlfriend overheard Perry asking Leonard, how you there with them people? They're dead. And Perry told her that Leonard had turned off the heat and turned on the air conditioning and then said, and the bitch wouldn't let him go. I'm literally reading word for word what it says. I don't know what that means. So uh, Leonard's cell phone records show four calls to Perry on November 25th, and Angela's landline records show one call to Perry that same day. So like I said, he ended up leaving St. Louis on November 26th, and he had plane tickets from St. Louis to Ontario, California with a layover via or via in Phoenix, Arizona. The reservation had been made by Deb on the 25th, as I said, and was under that Lewis Bradley, that alias that he used. And he ended up getting a ride from his sister-in-law to the airport. It's also said in the trial documents that Taylor was seen disposing of a pistol in the sewer near the house though it was never discovered, his sister-in-law's house. Um, Taylor also left um, Perry's vehicle and a box for Perry at his sister-in-law's house. On the way to the airport, Taylor told his sister-in-law, this will probably be the last time you see me alive. I need to get out of St. Louis. Some people are trying to kill me, and you're going to hear some things about me that are not true. Do not believe them. So, not great. And I kind of want to skip forward before I go backwards, which seems really weird, but I feel like it's going to make more sense when you know the conclusion of things. So, just like, bear with me. So, at the wrap-up of this entire case, uh, Leonard Taylor is found guilty. Um, And he is found guilty after the the jury deliberated for four and a half hours. And they found him guilty of all four counts of first-degree murder and four counts of armed criminal action. And then in the penalty phase, the state presented evidence of Leonard's prior convictions for possession with intent to distribute cocaine, forcible rape, forgery, stealing by deceit, and a guilty plea for forcible rape. Testimony from his rape victim and three members of the victim's family were also offered. And then, pursuant to Leonard's decision, the only evidence that Taylor offered was a stipulation entered and passed to the jury. The jury ended up deliberating for three hours before finding five aggravating factors for each victim. So, long story short, he's found guilty for killing all four of them. But in addition to that, when he's sentenced, he uh, ends up being sentenced to death. So that's where we're at. And I don't know if a lot of you have really hardline views on capital punishment or not. I feel like when I was younger, 
I was more for capital punishment than I am now when I'm older. I think the only exception that sometimes gets in my head a little bit is when it's crimes against children because it just, I mean, any murder is terrible, but it's harder to justify the crimes against children, like the most innocent of our population. But I will give you a reason why I feel like capital punishment is like, eh, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, We've covered cases where there has been police misconduct or police mishandling of evidence. And when the stakes are so high, that's what scares me is that if you have a wrongful conviction, there's no way to undo what you've done when it's capital punishment. And I don't really know how you mitigate that risk. Like it's, it's difficult to do, right? How can you ever be 110% sure? I don't really know the answer to that. So I'm not, I mean, if someone does send me a DM, email me. Um, but I think that the biggest hang up for me is that you can't necessarily be sure that you are putting the correct person to death or making sure that all of the people responsible are put to death because we've seen plenty of examples where it is a group of people who have committed these heinous crimes or whatever. Um, I know some other people's arguments about um, capital punishment is that really the prison system should be like rehabilitate like uh, rehabilitation for prisoners as opposed to punitive I don't know how I feel about that I mean like I agree to a certain extent I think that I'm more open to consider that when there are crimes that involve the younger population like one of the first episodes they were really young kids and I don't know what happened to them to put them down that path. But I also think that I'm not really sure that there is, not necessarily that there's not hope. I don't know that society would, at least the United States society, would ever be open to gambling if our jail system would actually rehabilitate these people instead of releasing criminals back onto the streets. And I also don't even know, is that even a safe situation for a person who committed these crimes to serve jail time and be released? I feel like people can get any information now. If Even if you are like a kid who grew up in this situation where there's an explanation for how you ended up there, are you going to be rehabilitated and leave and then end up getting murdered yourself or something terrible happening to you? You know, like, and maybe it wouldn't be immediate. Maybe it would be like, you are released. You are like in your early 40s. You get married. You have kids with someone. And then someday that comes out and it destroys an entire family or their kids or their wife or someone is attacked. They didn't even know. Because I think a lot of times people change their names when they 
are involved in these cases. I don't know. I'm playing devil's advocate here. I have no idea. Um, one of a big arguments for people who are against the death penalty, and this I do kind of understand. I feel like, um, there are a lot of people who say that the reason that we should be putting these heinous crime committers to death is because why should they be living on taxpayer dollars and sucking up that funding? And at face value, I think that that does make sense, that if a person broke the laws of this society, why should we as a society be paying for them to continue living? I mean, that sounds really bleak and like terrible, like you just are not a kind human, but I can understand it. If I like got a bill in the mail saying that I'm like paying for Larry Nasser to like eat a meal, I'd be freaking pissed. That would be really aggravating to me. But in all reality, the death sentence ends up costing taxpayer dollars more than a life sentence without parole. And I don't think that that makes sense initially until you factor in that every single person on death row um, they have to get a certain amount of appeals. Like you can't just be like, okay, well, you were sentenced to death. Well, lucky for you, we're not booked up next week. We're gonna be able to do it tomorrow. So that's what happens. That never happens. They have to get a certain amount of appeals and the appeals end up taking a really long time. But in addition to that, most of the people on death row do not have enough money to pay for their defense. So they get a public defender, which is funded by taxpayer dollars, and you can complain about that, but it is part of our judicial system being fair so that it doesn't matter if you have money or don't, you are going to get legal representation. But when they're going through the appeal system, it's not just the public defender. You're paying for a judge, for jury, for prosecutors. All of that stuff is being like billed to the taxpayers. Then past that, usually death row inmates have different kind of setup than like gen pop. They are usually housed individually and death row inmates are housed for a very long time before being put to death. And then once you end up getting to the end point of they have exhausted all of their appeals. Well, okay. Now, when you put someone to death, it ends up costing the state a huge amount of money to put the resources into executing them. You have to have all of these things in place, all of these paid people in place to carry it through. And so it ends up costing people a lot. And that doesn't even factor in like, okay, it's a different housing situation than general population. It's also higher security. So you can have fewer inmates in there, but you also have more guards in there as well. So I get it. And I think that I don't love the idea that we as a society are paying for people's misdeeds. But I also think when people get really fired up about that, I think they're thinking about the worst criminals that we have in our society they're thinking about like rapists and murderers and stuff like that. The things that get people really riled up. That there's not like someone that's like, well, I'm not sure if I'm against that or if I'm for that. 
Because if someone were to say that to you, you'd like call the cops and be like, this person is either a murderer or a rapist, right? But like, we have a lot of prisons um, that have a lot of people for smaller charges. And that's why I said like where some people are divided. There are some people that think that marijuana should be legalized. Well, our country has seen a lot of people who have been incarcerated for marijuana possession or marijuana intent to deliver. And there's some people that agree, disagree, whatever. But my point is, is people I don't think are thinking about that. And we have a lot of for-profit prison systems. So not to get on my soapbox, but here you are listening to me on my soapbox. If you want to get really riled up about the cost of prison, you should get riled up about people being incarcerated for something that doesn't require long-term incarcerations, not just because it's unjust and it typically does target lower-income people and people who are minorities, but also it is costing the taxpayers an insane amount of money and it is going to for-profit systems. So it's not just like a jailhouse connected to the courthouse. It's a corporation that's running this thing and pocketing the taxpayer dollars. And then judges are like getting kickbacks a lot of times on sending people to this. So, I mean, do what you will. It's not like I'm an activist for this whole thing. But when you really kind of sit there and think about it, maybe that's something to be a little bit more riled up about, right? Okay, so at this point... He is found guilty, and he obviously has appeals. Um, so if I rewind this to current times, he was scheduled to be executed on February 7th of 2023, this year. And they were still going through, well, actually they had exhausted their appeals, but they were trying to get a stay of execution. Um, and things that they had issues with, for example, are that during the time that he was arrested, or when they found the bodies, actually, excuse me, they had thought that Angela and her children had been murdered a few days prior. But if it was a few days prior, Leonard was in California. And then at trial, then a different medical examiner had said that it was a few weeks prior which does then implicate him as being possibly the person who murdered them. In addition to that, there was a huge inconsistency, I guess, in people saying the timelines that they had seen her or talked to her. Um, and several of her friends and family members who would not be motivated to lie about this on his behalf saw her alive after he had left town. Um, and one of the people uh, in the, the trial documents, even it's really not clear when was the last time people had talked to them. I mentioned that she called in sick on the 21st and then she didn't show up the 26th, 27th and 28th, but that could have been anything. In addition to that, her children were absent from school the entire week of the 29th um, when classes had resumed following Thanksgiving break. But 
Telephone records showed from Angela's landline the last outgoing call was placed on November 25th. From November 1st to the 25th, the number of outgoing calls ranged from 4 to 72. So it does seem like it dropped off after the 25th. And Leonard's cell phone records do not show any phone calls to Angela after November 23rd. Two non-functioning cell phones were found in Angela's house, and there was no evidence that Angela had other, any other functioning cell phone. I don't want to play devil's advocate to disrespect the memory and crime of Angela and her three children. Um, but I do think that that seems pretty strange that the only calls that they're really logging from Angela are from landlines, but other people, it's cell phones. But it doesn't say anything in any of the court records, and no one speaks out that that is amiss. So maybe it's not. And this was the early 2000s. There were people who were not really into cell phones yet. I mean, there were also people who were. So I don't know. But I'm just saying. Um, Angela's friend testified that the last time she talked to Angela was on November 22nd, and she was trying to call Angela without getting answers from the 23rd to the 27th. And then Angela's sister, I believe it's pronounced Gerwan, she had testified that she had talked to Angela and had borrowed $50 from her on the weekend of November 20th. But then she also adds, and on the weekend of the 27th, and she spoke with Angela on November 25th. Telephone records showed no calls from Angela's house to her sister after the 24th, and no telephone calls from her sister's cell phone to Angela's house from November 24th to, the, to December 3rd. A neighbor had testified that he had seen Angela and her kids the weekend after Thanksgiving. Beverly Conley, the children's aunt, testified that Alexis called her from Angela's house on November 27th or early on November 28th, but the telephone records from Angela's house indicate calls were made to Beverly Conley on the 19th and the 21st. I mean... It's traumatic, and also people are giving these statements not immediately following. I'm assuming, like, when they're preparing for the case. So, I mean, I don't think that that's, I think it's an accident on her part, but I also feel like it's sloppy. I don't know. It's, it makes things, it makes the waters more muddy, right? The children had celebrated Thanksgiving with Conley and their dad's side of the family the weekend of the 21st. Sherry Conley had stated in a deposition that she had spoke with Angela on November 28th, but at the trial she had testified that she was mistaken and she didn't talk to her on the 28th. So these can all be innocent mistakes. I... It's hard for me to gauge because as a jury, you're called to make judgments 
and you are called to convict someone beyond a reasonable doubt, right? And I don't know. I think that that level is different for every person. But I think also they were instructed that this case could result in being a death penalty based on the, um, what is it called? The aggravating, the, the, the points I am blanking on the word, the points that like escalate it to that point. So I would think if I was sitting on a jury that these things that like kind of go back and forth make me question more and make it a little bit harder to say like, yeah, beyond a reasonable doubt, I feel like he did this. Um, so another portion that Leonard had an issue with is that they had, um, uh, Angela's sister had been served a subpoena to testify at the trial. She didn't appear and the courts issued a writ of attachment. And at the end of the state's case, his counsel had been informed that the court writ had not been served. And the defense had intended the entire time to call her as a witness to this case. And as a result, the court ended up granting Leonard permission to read portions of her deposition into evidence. But the court did exclude this portion specifically from her sister's hearsay. So her sister says, we, we was out walking around and she did call me from a payphone on Jennings Station's road and West Florissant at the Amico. And the defense says, okay. And she then says, I was supposed to have been on my way, but my car not being legal and by the Jennings police being assholes, I didn't just go over there. And then the defense says, so you knew she was at a payphone then on the, and she says, yes. And they say on the early morning hours, and she says yes. And they say of the 28th, and she says yes. And so they ask then, how did you know she was on a payphone? She replies, because I asked her. I asked her, where are you? And she said she was on the payphone. And I said, I was supposed to have been on my way to get her. I was supposed to have been on my way to get her. That's what I was supposed to be doing. That's how I knew she was at the Amico on Jennings Station Road in West Florissant. And then they ask, were you ever able to actually hook up with her? And she says no. So the existence of the telephone call on November 28th was admissible, and the testimony regarding such a call was admitted into evidence. But that evidence that Roe was calling from a pay telephone was hearsay and inadmissible. So I don't know. I, I honestly, this is one that I, I legitimately don't really know what to make of it. Um, and I did see, I don't know how much truth there is to it, that there are people that have said that Leonard was tied to a different murder in California that remained unsolved. And I don't know if that's legitimate or not. And so I kind of didn't include that. And that wouldn't have been included in the, the trial testimony. Um, but he did have a long rap sheet, right? And 
that doesn't help anyone. And you shouldn't be... Realistically, you shouldn't be judged for one crime based on other things that you have done. But in a world where we're human, I think that a lot of people are going to say, well, you have done all of these things, especially like the rape charges, which are violent crimes, right? It's not out of the realm of possibility that a person that is so comfortable with doing that isn't going to have an issue with doing this. So I don't think that that helped him. I I do... This makes me feel bad. If If anyone is a gigantic supporter of the police department and this is going to upset them, I'm really sorry. I legitimately am. I do not have an issue with the police. I swear that I don't. I have an issue with police who are crappy, with police who embezzle, with police who frame people, with police who have a power complex. Those are the kind of police officers that I have an issue with. And I mean, part of Angela's sister's statement of, I didn't want to go over there because the police are assholes. I don't know how to how far out of the realm of possibility is it that a police department has a murder on their hands that they want to get wrapped up, especially if they are disbanded just a few years later for being really crooked and shitty. Might they want to tie up loose ends and make sure that this just goes away and you get a conviction and no one is really looking at you all that much? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because on one hand, it, uh, it doesn't look good for Leonard that he was not the person that did it. I think that we can all sit here and be like, okay, well, he has multiple aliases. He's got a girlfriend he lived with in St. Louis who her and her kids die. He's got a wife in California. And he's also got a different girlfriend in Kentucky. I mean, no kink shaming here, but like, that doesn't seem like you're living kind of like an upfront life. I I mean, and I don't even know what the motive like would have been in the entire situation if he was the one that kind of not kind of, the one who did kill them. I don't know if it was a fight about something like that, like she had found out stuff. I really don't know. But then we kind of got to go into Missouri and their history of executing people. So in the last couple of months from 2022 into the start of 2023, um, including Leonard Taylor's execution. Um, He would have been the third person executed in the state of Missouri. And that, uh, to me, that seems high. And the reason why I say that seems high is like, basically in like, I think it was four to six months, they've executed, well, three people. 
Um, currently, the United States only has uh, 27 states that allow capital punishment. Um, and even though it is legal in 27 states, currently seven of them um, have moratoriums. I know that I can see that in the last six months that Texas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Florida are the only states that have fulfilled, carried out, however you want to say it, executions. So do with that information what you will. Um, But uh, I don't know. I know that the Missouri governor ended up denying this day of execution. And so Leonard Rahim, as he wants to be called now or then, I wasn't trying to be insensitive. Um, He ended up converting to Islam and he ended up being executed on February 7th of this year, 2023. So... Leonard kicked his feet as the five grams of pentobarbital were administered, and then he took five or six deep breaths before all of the movement stopped. His final statement, he said, Muslims don't die, but live eternally in the hearts of our family and friends. Death is not your enemy. It is your destiny. Look forward to meeting it. Peace, he wrote in the statement. I don't know what to do with all of this. I think that's why I kind of said, I'm going to give you guys this information and throw you like pieces of it. And ultimately a decision was made by the courts and then held by the courts. And then an execution was executed. I guess I was looking for a different word completed So I guess the decision was made, but I think that while I don't know personally what I believe really truly happened to Angela and her three children, I hope that it was justice that was served and I do hope that going forward, if states or anywhere is going are going to continue to have capital punishment that there is more concrete substantial evidence because i feel like i only saw a lot of circumstantial they did not recover a murder weapon There was no got you moment that I found in any of the court records, right? It was just a lot of circumstantial stuff. Like, obviously, he would be the first suspect that would pop into people's heads when that is her significant other. That is frustrating to some significant others, but that's police work at its finest. More than likely, if something happens to someone, you look at the people that they're closest with, not the theory that some random person broke in and did that. Yeah, I understand that. And even past that, he was not with them, and he 
dipped out to some other lady. Yeah, that's terrible. But I do think that we as people, regardless of our opinions on whether or not we feel like this should continue on or it shouldn't, if you want to be an activist and fight it, go do that, right? But I think that the thing that we should demand, and this is something that we do have control of because we are the people that are sitting on the juries, is if there are going to be crimes that would land the death sentence on the table for them, that you don't allow police work to be sloppy. You have concrete, hard evidence, not just a lot of circumstantial stuff. Because I think that the worst thing that we can do is execute people and not be 100% sure. Not just because of their life lost, but potentially you are permanently like closing the book. Like We have served justice to their family and friends, which I do want to say that her family, her friends, uh, her children's fathers, they felt like justice was served. So I am happy that they have that peace, that they do feel like there is closure to that. But I think that it's really important that police work is held to a high standard so that we do make sure that the people who are committing these crimes are the people that are being punished for these crimes. So on that note, on that super downer note, like (laughs) where I'm like, well, he was executed. I want everyone to manifest with me because I've had a garbage week last week that tomorrow it's supposed to be sunny and in the 40s. And I know if you're not from this area, you're like, in the 40s, that sucks. Well, it does suck. But you know what? When we've been in the teens and like low 20s, 40s is basically Hawaii weather, right? I want everyone to manifest me having an amazing week because I've decided that on Sunday when it is sunny and it's 40, that is going to be the kickoff to me having an amazing week following and that no one in my house, including myself, is going to get pink eye and yeah, everything's going to go great, right? It is. I am kind of thinking, I don't know exactly scheduling what things are going to look like going forward. I'm going to do my best to keep my head above water so I can keep doing this. But I've kind of been thinking about covering more than we were covering initially. So here's the thing that I'm pitching. I am thinking that it will be easier for me because I don't think that people, a lot of the times when you're listening to this stuff, it's like, oh, wow, it does take a lot of time to research the cases, to write up the cases, to present the cases, to edit it, all of that stuff. Um, When Chloe and I were doing this like jointly, it was like one week on, one week off as far as like the research and the preparing. Or you can think that you have a two-week turnaround time. However you want to look at it. If you get a week off, okay. Or if you just have a longer amount of time to do the research, whatever. So I was thinking that a way that makes it easier so that I can kind of keep up the schedule and it doesn't get super overwhelming to me. Because this isn't like my moneymaker program. 
I mean, I hope that everyone's listening to this and realizing I'm not really making money on this, right? We have a couple of people, bless their heart, who donate money to keep it going. But for the most part, um, we don't make anything at all. It's just my passion baby. Anyways, I don't want to get burnt out over this. I love doing this. I love that everyone loves what we're doing. But I was thinking that what I could do is maybe cover some interesting docu-series. I mean, true crime adjacent, right? I started watching, I haven't completely finished, um, it was a documentary on Netflix and I had actually seen one on Discovery Plus, I want to say last summer, but I don't know when I saw it exactly. Um, it's about this family named the Murdochs and I want to say it was South Carolina, but now I don't remember. And they just have like a whole bunch of like really not so great things going on with them, but also quite a few like bodies kind of popping up, cropping up around them. Real weird, insane. But I was thinking of doing something like that where I can kind of like recap these things. I won't like literally say word for word what they say, but recap them. If people want to watch them before or watch them after, that's cool. But then, I don't know, kind of a way where I'm not having to full-blown research these things and then kind of give you guys heads up on cool stuff that's popping up in case you didn't know that you might be interested in because if you're interested in hearing about these crimes you probably would like these and I can also take suggestions from people of the things you want me to watch and cover and recap but I thought that maybe that's a way that I could keep going on and not be so overwhelmed and overloaded I'm hoping we get Chloe back soon. I 100% know Mirza will never ever record an episode with me again. He hated it. Um, Rocky refuses to talk. I know my older daughter would love it if she got to be on the podcast. Um, however, I think that the subject matter she would want to cover is Pokemon and Also, if we were covering true crime, I think that I might have someone call CPS on me, or even if they don't, I might be footing a pretty heavy therapy bill for the rest of my life. So I'm not going to do that, but I might come up with some people who I want to fill in as guest hosts. Um, Anyways, that is about it. Oh, I also actually as I hear my dog snoring, and you might also too, which is a real confidence booster. He is not interested. I wanted to mention last week, Haunts, Graves, and Omens, they had an awesome podcast about the Michigan Triangle. Uh, Fred tried to pronounce Manitowoc. Wasn't a real uh, home run, if you will, but he tried. And it's that kind of go-getter spirit of trying to pronounce the Wisconsin City names that I really, truly appreciate. Taylor killed it, though. I will say that. Fred, we can we can powwow. We'll figure it out. I'll help him out. He'll figure... In no time, he's going to be like, oh, De Pere, Eshwabanon, Oconomowoc. He'll get it. Don't worry, guys. I'll help him out. But anyways, that's all I got for you guys. I love ya. Bye.